Good morning. Anyone wake up this morning and thought, if we actually had a windy day, that uh, you might just roll into a cave and just have some chicken noodle soup this morning? I just, it was so cold. I am not, I'm still 14 years into being in the Midwest, I'm still not used to the cold. So, my hands, when I wake up in the morning on a day like this, for some reason I wake up and they know it's cold because they're cold. You know, older people say it's in their joints, I think it's in my hands. My hands are magical. Well, I'd like to welcome you here this morning to Sunlight Community Church. Uh, We are on the third week of a series that we started in January and had to pause for a little bit. And so I'm going to pray um, before we go into the sermon this morning, but I do have a pop quiz. So those of you that were here last week and in January, you should be able to answer the pop quiz in just a minute. And some of you are already sweating, so just calm down. I'm going to pray. We'll be okay. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning And we ask that you would open our our hearts, our minds to what your word says. Lord, help us to see ways that we can replicate disciples just like Jesus did. That we we can do something different. That we can live lives with purpose. Because we're followers of Jesus. And if we're not followers yet, help us to see a glimpse of someone that was seeking after Jesus with all that they are, despite obstacles and despite not being the the, the person or or people group that people thought was going to seek after Jesus. So Lord, help us, convict us, and transform us this morning. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor here at Sunlight Community Church, and I'd like to welcome you here in person and as well as those that are watching online. So we're in this series called DNA, Core of the Local Church. This is our third week, and we've covered two core values so far, and this is the third core value today that we're going to talk about. So if you have our app, you can click uh, on your phone, you can click at the top of the feed, and it'll go right to your notes. If you're watching online, you can put that on another device and then also watch um, on another device. So the first core value we covered was, do you guys remember? This is the pop quiz. Bring people to Jesus, okay? I'm not going to, I don't actually have it up there, so I'm not going to quiz you guys that much. I'm just going to speak rhetorically. And the second that I covered last week was build into people like Jesus, because we actually need to build it into others. It's not just, we're going to focus on a relationship with Jesus, and that doesn't mean we do anything for other people. That means actually that's going to increase the amount we do for other people. So the third core value, and what we're going to talk about today, is send people out to replicate like Jesus. I know, I use the word replicate. Anyone uh, a Trekkie in here? Anyone watch Star Trek? No one? Okay. All right. On Star Trek, they have replicators, and it, like, replicates exactly what they ask for. So it'll be like, I need an Earl Grey tea, and I'll make a Earl Grey tea. You can't replicate what you're not, unlike Star Trek, where it just appears out of nowhere. So we can't be sent out sent people, when it says sent out to replicate, we cannot be sent out without the first two core values. You have to be brought to Jesus. You have to bring people to Jesus and then build into people like Jesus before you can be sent out. So you can't sent out, send someone out if they already haven't gone through those first two steps. And you can't replicate what you don't have. So today we're going to look at a passage of the Bible that shows that Jesus calls those who seek him and they don't fit in a box. Have you ever wanted your friends to be the coolest people in the world. You know, when you're a kid, 
there's always someone that you want to be your friend. Or maybe you had posters in your room. I had posters of like rock bands. That's what I did. But everyone has someone that they look up to or wish they could hang out with or is so cool. But Jesus is actually going to approach someone that doesn't fit in a box and it's not what we would hope if we were going to make a friend or we're going to make or see someone come to Christ. God might be sending us to people in places that wouldn't be our first choice. They might actually be our last choice. And so that's the challenge is sometimes we say yes. Yes, Jesus, I'm going to, I want to be sent out. I want to go do something. I want to pray with someone today. And then when the opportunity comes, we don't take it because it's not the person we wanted it to be. So let's turn, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. So it's the third gospel um, in the New Testament. Luke chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Many of you heard this story as a child. You ever sing the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he? Right? Okay. That's kind of like patronizing, right? I just feel like that's like, I'm like, I don't want to be called a wee little man. Come on. So, so to understand the context, though, he was not someone that anyone wanted to be. Because, one, his physical appearance clearly was they were making fun of him. And then the second part of it was that he was in a position of power and abused and used other people. So let's, let's read the first five verses here. It says, he entered Jericho and was passing through, that's Jesus, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. That seems pretty boring. Like, what am I going to talk about here? There's like so much going on here. Jesus was passing through Jericho. Jericho was one of three major tax districts. So you notice it said Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. There was three chief tax collectors that we know of in all of Israel. So it would be like the equivalent of a governor. So whoever handles taxes in Indiana they would, they would handle taxes, and they would take a cut of what was going on. Jesus also, this meeting with Zacchaeus, was the last personal meeting before he went to Jerusalem to be crucified. It's very important. Kent Hughes put it this way, because there's things that lead up to this, okay? So here's a quote that I think is important for us to get the bigger context. The healing of the blind beggar, the deliverance there of a man lost in, in blindness and poverty, corresponds here... This is talking about Zacchaeus, to the deliverance of a man lost in wealth and corruption. And also its connection to the story before that, which is the story before the blind beggar, of the rich ruler. It is also clear what is here is stated as humanly possible, namely the salvation of a rich man. This was thought to be impossible. Jesus already talked about it. The rich young ruler, in case you haven't heard that part of the story, comes up to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? And he's like, basically sell all your stuff. And the rich young ruler hangs his head and walks away. He doesn't do anything. And we're going to see Zacchaeus doesn't do that. In fact, he does complete opposite. Luke here is setting the tone for Jesus replicating unlikely disciples. Zacchaeus was very unlikely. I mean, think about it. 
Who's the most corrupt official? The chief tax collector. Who's got a scheme going on? It's the chief tax collector. He was rich. He was one one of three tax collect, or chief tax collectors in all of Israel. And there's there's a there's a point here that we need to make that we don't understand because I think in the United States we don't like the IRS, right? No one like the IRS. Everyone's like pro IRS. You guys like you know like like the IRS. No one likes paying taxes. But in Israel here, it was different. Whatever the Romans wanted, he would give them, but he would take a cut. And he could charge people whatever he wants because he's got the power of being the chief tax collector. And so the people under him are taking money. There's margin on that. And then he's taking money. It's a huge pyramid scheme. It's, it's the biggest pyramid scheme that could possibly happen. So there's a quote here that I think is important to understand in our context. As the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus was the head of a tax farming corporation with collectors that extorted people. They're walking into your home saying, I need another $500 because you need to pay more on your taxes. They extorted the people and then they paid him before he paid the Romans. He was the kingpin of the Jericho tax cartel. He was filthy rich in the fullest sense of the term. and He wasn't a likely candidate for God's kingdom. Zacchaeus was not going to be the first person that any disciple of Jesus would want to go and see come to Jesus. You know, I had a, a schoolyard friend when I was growing up. I won't say his name. He may, ever, may watch this at some point. That I was like, he was like my bitter enemy. And I found out years later that he came to Jesus. And I was a little angry. I felt like Jonah and Jonah says, like, oh, God, I know you're merciful, but I really don't want you to save those people. And that's kind of how I felt. And I think about it, and I think about this. And can you imagine, as Jesus talks to Zacchaeus, when we're going to see in a second, what the other people are thinking? Zacchaeus was clearly lost. Instead of Jesus going to what our first choice is, we're going to encounter an unlikely disciple. Jesus sought out someone lost. And... You know why I know they're lost? They don't, it doesn't say lost anywhere in there, but it's someone finding their identity in money. But Zacchaeus made the first move, and I think that's important to see here. He was seeking to know who Jesus was. He was short. He couldn't push through the crowd. As I said, he was a wee little man. He was obviously short. So he hatched a plan. I'm going to climb up on a tree. I don't know about you, but it doesn't matter what height I am. Climbing trees is hard. I always, like, envision broken arms. And when I see my kids try to climb a tree, I envision, like, like heads, you know, like fractured brains or something. And it's like, the trees are hard. You don't want to do that. He's short. He's going up the tree. We can learn from this, though, because it's not something that was easy that Zacchaeus did. He did something hard. And how we can learn is he sought after Jesus. He was seeking Jesus, and he made an effort to pursue him. He made an effort. He didn't, he didn't just stay on the sidelines here. Followers of Jesus need to be looking for those seeking Jesus so that we can bring them to Jesus. If you're going to be sent out to replicate like Jesus, you're looking for people that are kind of wanting to know what's going on. You know, there's a, there's a term that I, I have an argument with my wife a lot about this term, okay? You ever heard of, like, rubbernecking? You know, there's like a car accident, everyone slows down for the car accident, but like there's, the road's clear, 
and everyone's rubbernecking, that's what I call it, you know, like this. She calls it a gaper's delay because you're gaping at the car accident, okay? <laughs> I don't know which one it is, so you guys will have to talk to me afterwards. Maybe there's other terms for the same thing. Jesus right here is seeing someone, Zacchaeus, has got, he's, he's like trying to figure out what's going on, and we need to notice the people that are trying to figure out what's going on. Maybe they never set foot in a church. Maybe they're asking you questions and you're like, why are you asking that? Like, why do you pray after your meal? I've prayed in public before at a restaurant and I've had the, the waiter come up to me and say, man, people don't pray in public anymore. Thank you for doing that. Can you pray for me? And I'm like, well, I didn't even ask you yet, but you know, that's, that works. You got to wait for the people that are, that are looking, that are seeking Jesus. And Zacchaeus also, something that's very interesting do you think someone that's so rich wouldn't have, like, servants or something? I mean, I just, like, I, this just came to mind as I was reading this. He's rich. He's a chief tax collector. He didn't worry when he climbed up the tree about his dignity. You know? Oh, look, there's Zacchaeus climbing up the tree because he's so short. You know, people could have ridiculed him for what's going on. This short man's climbing a tree, and it just happens to be one of the most richest men in Jericho, but also one of the most hated men in the community. Just to get a glimpse of Jesus. Just to see what everyone's talking about. We need to seek Jesus without worrying about our dignity. About what people are going to say or what people are going to think. Like Zacchaeus, we pursue Jesus as outsiders, but Jesus makes us insiders. And we're going to see that in a second. We should be in the business of making people insiders of God's grace. And you're wondering at this point, man, I've been talking for a long time and you haven't even come to your first point. Well, that's great because it's right here. To replicate like Jesus, we have to seek him and guide others to him. There's two steps there. One is, if you are not seeking Jesus, you can't help others, other people seek Jesus. Consider yourself an ambassador, a guide to, to where Jesus is. Jesus initiated with Zacchaeus when he was in the tree. And you know what? It would have been really easy, easy for Jesus to keep walking. Have you ever noticed that? There's a lot of scenes in the Gospels where Jesus is walking and someone stops him. Zacchaeus, it doesn't show here that he made any effort to stop Jesus, but Jesus initiated with him. He made a choice to talk to him. He didn't just talk to him. He invited himself to stay at Zacchaeus' house, something I tell my kids never to do with people, Right? You don't say, hey, I'm coming over to your house on Friday. No, you invite people over to your place, right? So Jesus just invited himself in. Again, I'm not saying we should invite ourselves into <laughs> to strangers' houses. But, but Jesus just invited himself in because he initiated. I mean, Zacchaeus could have said no, but I'm sure Jesus knew the answer. This is the pivot point in the story, and it's going to be the pivot point in our lives. It's going to be the point where we change and shift, because to replicate like Jesus, we need to initiate relationships. Now, some of us, when they hear, we hear that, we get really excited. And some of us are having crippling anxiety, thinking about all the people that, oh, am I going to have to talk to someone? Do I have to make friends? I like being at home. I like doing it. It's it's not the same for everybody, but initiating relationships is important for every single human being on this planet. Jesus' mission is to seek and save the lost. That's the mission of the church. Initiating relationship is the first step. If we, if we keep ourselves 
from, from being around other people and encouraging other people, what's going to end up happening? You end up with like broken relationships, difficulties. Jesus here as an example didn't wait for Zacchaeus to talk to him. Jesus also gave the most hated man in the community his dignity back by inviting himself into his house, which was a place of privilege. He decided it, it doesn't matter that he's hated. It doesn't matter that he's rich. But he's wanting to see who I am, and so I'm going to show him a little bit of who I am. If we're going to replicate disciples, we need to show others that they hold value and they matter. It's like there's so many emotions that we feel on a daily, weekly, monthly basis where people say things or do things that make us feel smaller. You know the term smaller? I think, it's, I, I, there's, I think there's no irony that Zacchaeus was a short man and that the kids' songs kind of make fun of him. But the reality is Zacchaeus is going to do something that some of us, many of us, would struggle to do if in his position. Although Zacchaeus was someone that others didn't care for much, Jesus saw that he had a heart and a soul. Let's see what, G- what Zacchaeus' response to Jesus is, and we're going to also hear about the grumbling. Anytime the word grumbling happens, I think of the Old Testament. I think of Moses and the people coming out of, of the Exodus, out of Egypt, into Israel, into the Promised Land, and they grumble. And we're going to see a very similar tone here. Starting in verse 6, I'm going to read verse 6 through verse 10. It says, So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. This is Zacchaeus here. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And behold, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he's also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus' response says a lot. The, the moment Jesus invites himself into his house, which I think in that culture was more normal than it is here. You know, I don't go and say, hey, I'm going to invite myself into your house. And, but he, it says a lot. He hurried. That was his first step. He hurried like, Jesus is coming to my house. I'm excited. Hey, get everything ready. Let's get food on the table. Come on, let's go. He was joyful. He had joy. When we're replicating like Jesus, we're calling people to a relationship with him. We're going to see a response one way or another. And I'm sure a lot of us have seen a response that we didn't like. And I'm sure a lot of us, we've seen responses that we really liked. We're going to see the joy in other people's lives. But even though this is happening to those around us, even that joyful response, there's still going to be some that grumble like the people did here. In verse 7, the audience is grumbling about Jesus spending time with this, and I'm going to use quotation marks, this sinner. And I'll even use the word extortionist because it's the equivalent of paying for protection in the mafia is what they did when it came to taxes. Jesus is the guest of a sinner. We should not be concerned about being around... around other people that people call sinners. Like, just 
it, we shouldn't be concerned about that. We have to be around other people that people call sinners to replicate like Jesus. We can't stay away from everyone that we don't like. We can't stay away from everyone we think is not doing things the way we would like. But I think sometimes we seek out people that think like us, talk like us, act like us, because it's so much easier. To replicate like Jesus, we're going to spend time with sinners. And I use that term very broadly, because you and I are sinners too. And if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're saved by his blood, and you're a saint. Zacchaeus' response here is the same response we can hope for, we can pray for, and we can look for. This response is the best possible way. You ever try to teach someone something, and then all of a sudden the light bulb, you know, like in a cartoon, the light bulb comes on, and all of a sudden they get it. Zacchaeus gets it. He gets it finally. He, we, don't, we don't hear the whole dialogue. You know what? Honestly, Jesus doesn't say anything until after Zacchaeus responds, but we know Jesus did something. But for some reason, it didn't matter what Jesus did at this point. It matters what Zacchaeus does. Verse 8 is a total reversal of all that Zacchaeus' life was built on. Total reversal. He worshipped money. He climbed the tax collection ladder to be able to extort the most money in the pyramid scheme. He did everything he could do to, concept, to compensate for that hollow feeling he had in his soul. He did everything. And then he thought money was the only thing that could fill it. But Jesus showed him something different. He showed him he mattered. And honestly, I don't think Jesus cared at all about the money, right? He showed him he was valued. Money wasn't going to feel the hollow feeling he had in his soul. And in fact, it was keeping him from finding that fulfillment God had for him. So he responds from his heart, not because Jesus commanded him to. And I think it's important to remember that. There's lots of commands in Scripture, and it's not wrong to follow Jesus' commands. But Zacchaeus here doesn't respond because Jesus says, do this so you can be saved. Even the rich young ruler, Jesus actually commanded, and he still didn't do it. Zacchaeus here does something without being asked. You know, I'm a parent of four kids, and when my kids do something without being asked that they're supposed to do, man, I'm thanking God. I'm like, it never happens. That's it's like a unicorn. Okay, my daughter loves unicorns. That's why I thought of it, but it doesn't happen. But Zacchaeus here does. Zacchaeus responds from his heart without being asked. So. The last thing, and one of the most important things that we need to realize, is to replicate like Jesus, we pray for heart change. You and I can't change people's hearts. I used to think when I was younger, and I I still sometimes struggle with this, I figured I could debate my way into convincing someone that I was right. Can you laugh now? Because it's hilarious. You don't win anything by arguing like a lawyer. <laughs> you just make people mad. You, don't, you, you can't do anything like that. But here, 
Zacchaeus doesn't defend himself. In fact, he does something the total opposite that I think we, we sometimes struggle with. He goes above and beyond. He gives half of what he has to the poor, and he pays back four times the money he extorted from other people. The numbers don't make sense in case you're a financial person. That, like, he's going to be in poverty. It's going to lead to his own poverty. He's realized material poverty, what he was so afraid of, doesn't matter if he's going to lose his soul. He said, and Zacchaeus says this, if I've defrauded others, he says, if I defrauded others. You know what's interesting? And I'm, I'm totally a nerd about this, but in the actual like, like manuscripts, he's saying the if statement is a rhetorical question and the answer is yes. That's what the grammar says. Like, like it, it, yes, he did defraud people. He knows it, and he's going to pay him back four times as much, which I don't know how he's going to do that. Think about it. That's where he gets all his income. He's going to do it. It's a confession. It's unsolicited by God's power. It's, it's, just, it's just God's, God's power does it. It's the Holy Spirit convicting him in that moment. We should encourage others to respond to the good news of Jesus. When we replicate something, we're going to see a changed life. When the Holy Spirit uses us, like a changed life like, like Zac- Zacchaeus would be generosity. If we're living a life changed and we're giving generously financially of our time and our talents, we're going to see change in others. And it may not be right away. Some of you may say, like, I've, I've been working on someone and I keep praying for them and nothing's happening and it's been 15 years. It'll happen. What do we need to do if we're going to see heart change? First, we need to engage their heart. Engage the heart of the other person. Don't, don't treat them like a name or a number. Don't act like you're someone that, that works at a government agency and someone has to pull a ticket and go in or wherever. Engage the heart. What is our motivation? Be motivated by love. I think a lot of us have family members that we really would love to see come to Christ. Start praying for them. And if, you're, if you aren't already, of course, I would assume you were, but expect and hope for repentance. Expect and hope for repentance. See, I think we go into situations and we kind of defeat ourselves. I tend to do this at times. There's a, there's a moment where I'm just like, it's not going to work. There's no way this is going to happen. And yet, with God's power, we can't do that because then we're actually doubting God. We're not doubting our own ability, but we're doubting God. Repentance is putting off these old patterns, putting on, off the old self, the old heart, and putting in a new heart that leads to new behaviors and changes in their lives. That's what we're looking for. Be humble and merciful. I don't know anybody that has led someone to Jesus, been a part of what God's saving work is, that has not been hurt by that same person they led to Jesus in some way, at some point. It's not easy. It's a lot easier not to say anything, not to do anything. Seek obedience to God for others and for yourself. It's got to start here, but then it's everyone else as well. And I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning. We can't replicate what we're not. 
if, if, if we're not living it, we can't ask others to live it. It's going to be very hard. But you know what? That's one thing that I think holds us back rather than pushing us forward to be stronger in our faith. So if we want to be sent out to replicate like Jesus, we're going to be a people of generosity. And what I mean by that is, what do you, what do you think of when you hear the word generosity, actually? What do you think? Someone can yell out something. Those on the internet can't do it, so. Anyone, what do you think of generosity? Giving. What, do you, what, what, what is it tied to, though? What do you think? Love, okay. That's a good one. So when I hear the word generosity, because I've been in the church so long, I always think of like giving financially. Is that the case? Do I see some head nods? Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. That might be part of what I'm talking about because we're looking at Zacchaeus, right? But generosity is giving others the benefit of the doubt too. So to replicate, we have to give others the benefit of the doubt. We have to be generous with how we treat others. That's why verse 9 and 10 are some of my favorite verses in the entire New Testament. Because when I was lost, Jesus found me. He found me through my parents that got saved in their 30s. found me through my youth pastor and his son that invested in me for years. So verse 9 and 10 state Jesus' mission and our mission for the church. Salvation has come, right? That's what Jesus is saying. Salvation has come. It came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That was his mission. I know. I'm oversimplifying it. Nothing in, in, uh, theology or the study of God seems like we, we get in all these nitty-gritty details. That is, that is the mission. So if we're going to replicate like Jesus, we must seek the lost. But I'm going to list off a bunch of things that sometimes we don't think of. The rich, the poor, the rejected the lonely, the proud, the seekers, the disabled, the depressed. And there's an etc. there because I think every one of us could put a qualifier of someone that we need to seek out. This week, I've been confronted with something that I fully expected my, my grandmother's 99. She had a, a pretty bad stroke the middle of this week. And so she's on hospice. And one of the things I've been confronted with that I haven't had, I, I would say, the privilege of being, being connected to in the past is that I, I've learned a lot more about if someone is dying slowly versus quick. A lot of the people that have died in my life were heart attacks or quick. Or, and um, realized that I've had many, many people that have found out that said, you know, hearing goes last. And I thought about that just a little bit. Hearing goes last. God wants us to give, give us every chance to hear the gospel. We can't see. Okay. We can't smell. We can't taste. We can't swallow. But we can still hear. We can still hear the word of God. For all of our days. If we're going to replicate like Jesus, we're going to initiate relationships. And like I said earlier, that's either anxiety causing or you're like, man, I'm excited. Jesus is actually telling me to do something I like doing. 
whatever it is, do it. If we're going to replicate like Jesus, we're going to spend time with sinners. If your circle of people that you spend time with the whole week is only people that are Christians, that's not what Jesus ever did. And I've been in situations like that where people have just kept themselves out of interacting with anybody that they possibly can. We need to spend time. You know what? The person that you're, le- in your mind, if you thought of the person least likely to come to faith in Jesus Christ, some of you are going to find out that that person is going to come to faith and it's going to be because of you or because of someone else in this church. That's why we need to spend time. And I use the word sinners so broad. I mean, it's all of us. If we're going to replicate like Jesus, we pray for changed hearts. Because it's not us to do the work because then you get proud like, oh, I I did all this. It's not about that. It's actually about Jesus working through us through the Holy Spirit. The key here is not isolation. The key is integration. It's not isolating yourself from others. It's integrating moments of your life. I had a friend that when I was in college, he was a real go-getter and he still is. He was in high school and he said he wanted to be mentored. I was really busy. I was full-time in college. I was working full-time and I just, I didn't have any time. So what I would do is I would call him and say, hey, I'll pick you up. I got to do grocery shopping and I got to make this, dude, I take him with me for my errands and we would just talk. You can integrate, no matter how busy you are, you can integrate time to spend with others. If you want to live sent and you want to see God move through you, then you have to seek out others, initiate, spend time with them, and pray with them, and pray for them. So how has God been seeking you out lately? What is your Zacchaeus moment? Because even coming in this morning, no matter where you're at in your faith or whether you've trusted in, in Jesus as your Savior, you're seeking right now. You've climbed up the tree, just like Zacchaeus, wanting to see what Jesus is going to do. And Jesus is down, looking up. He's looking at you, which I can't look at the balcony too much. There's lights, but he's looking at you and he's saying, Hey, I'm coming to your house today. (laughs) He wants to be with you every day. It's not one day. It's not some days. He's inviting himself into your life. And whether you've already put your faith in in him or you haven't, that's what he's doing. God is willing to give you a new heart of generosity towards others, towards him, towards financial resources, time, and talents that you have. That's how you can replicate. You can replicate and replicate and replicate. So what? So what? What What are we called to do? What, what, what do you leave here this morning? To replicate like Jesus, we have to seek him and guide others to him. We have to initiate relationships. We will initiate relationships. How many of you think of yourself as a guide? Anyone, anyone ever guide someone somewhere? 
at all? Come on, guys. There's got to be someone that's been a guide before. Yeah, I'm seeing people wave. Yeah, I know. I, I knew someone would raise their hand. I was hoping. <laughs> so when you're a guide, there are moments where you're telling people information they've never heard before in their lives. We can't go into situations where we're sharing our faith thinking that someone knows something. I remember when I was 20 years old, I had, uh, I had a summer job. I worked at Big Five Sporting Goods. You guys ever heard of that? It's on the West Coast, so. Basically, it's Dunham's, okay? So I worked at Dunham's. And there was a guy I worked with that I had started talking to, and I realized, like, he had no faith at all. He didn't know anything. I mean, when I say know nothing, I, I grew up in the church, so I was like, well, you don't even know who Jesus is or Adam and Eve. Like, I mentioned Jesus, and he's like, what's that? I just heard people cussing that. That's all he knew. Took him to Starbucks. I gave him a Bible, and we started going through Genesis. Like, this is creation. He's like, oh, wow. He was like, it was like rocket science. I'm like, in the United States, this kid knows nothing? I mean, he's not... I just had no idea that there were people out there that knew nothing about the Bible. Nothing at all. And again, I was 20 years old. But I had to initiate that relationship so that he would know something. And before I left that job, you know, I met with him a bunch of times and I don't even know where he lives or anything going on with him now. But I think the point is, I could have taken a step back and been really freaked out. But then I realized everything I'm saying to him is new, fresh, and is life-giving because God gave me the opportunity. So if we're going to do that, we have to replicate like Jesus. We will spend time with sinners praying for heart changes. I don't really like the word sinners because what do you feel? Do you feel shame when you hear the word sinner? It's true though. Like we have sinned. We have, we have missed the mark with God. And I think one of the things that was most eye-opening to me is people want to hear that, that you and I, that, that we are just like them. But the main difference is our relationship with Jesus. That's what they want to hear. They don't want to hear, you know, how things are all together because God knows they're not. They don't want to hear that you know, yesterday you got an argument with your wife or you yelled at your kids. Like, they'll know that. That's okay. But the reality is they want to see how has God changed you? What's different about you? Can't do that if you don't spend time with people and pray for heart change. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little bit forward right now. I don't know where my grandma stands with faith. So I'm going to ask for prayer. She's 99. She's in a hospital bed. My mom's there. My aunt's there. But I'm bringing this up this morning because I think we need to realize that until we are gone, we can be saved. If we're still alive, we can be saved. If we're in a coma, we can hear the gospel. Doctors have said you can hear things in comas. like... There's, there's no point where we don't stop or where we stop. 
So this morning, I'm going to pray and close. And I think that both as a church, but as a community of believers, we need to realize that we need to take every moment and thought captive because maybe we're struggling with some of this. We've already initiated, our our friend group is about as big as it's going to get and we're not going to do anything else. Or maybe our our time and our space is, is tight, but there's always more room to do this, to replicate like Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we know that we can't do this. We can't make disciples. We can't, can't pursue unlikely people without you. And specifically your Holy Spirit as it moves in our hearts and our minds. God, we are, we are a people that can't do anything without your saving grace. And so we ask this morning that if there's names we thought of or people we thought of that we need to initiate relationship with. That God, you would allow us to do that. Maybe it's someone that's confided in us and we just really don't want to deal with what they're going through. God, give us the words to say. The ability to be present and spend time with them. God, in our country, we sometimes look at, at money as the most, most our largest resource or the worth the most value. And Zacchaeus felt that way too. But God, we know that in our lives on this earth, time is so much more important. So you're not just asking us to sacrifice something of, of little worth, which is money, but you're asking us to sacrifice that which is of greatest worth, which is our time on this planet. So God, allow us to see your big picture and how we can sacrifice that. To see people become disciples like we became disciples. God, we thank you for this morning being able to dig into your word. Help us to see moments and glimpses of what we need to change and what you can change in us through the story of Zacchaeus. We say all this in Jesus' name.